Hey everyone, it's Scott. And Matt. Before we get going, I regret to inform you that on this first bit about communication blur, my mic was fucked up. Please bear with it. It gets better about 15 minutes in. Uh, and if you're enjoying this episode at home with a glass, we encourage you to take a drink every time we say, great. It's a lot. Welcome to 50 Years of Fun. I'm Matt Roberts. I'm Scott Miller. And this is the audio fanzine where we discuss the first 50 singles on Creation Records, a record label started by Alan McGee in 1983. And today we are here for Creation Artifact 002, Television Personalities Flexi, which comes in the Communication Blur fanzine. Uh, this record came, this zine and record came out in 83. And it looks like, as, actually, as I'm looking in the zine, it looks like it came out right before the first Creation proper release. So it's like almost, it says like next month. So they're doing a lot of stuff all at once. Right. And you can see that the, even the art, like the art on the inside of the Flexi, that same, those blocks, those stuck, stacked blocks are the same that Creation is using on their early singles. Like they've already are sort of announcing their records that are coming out. Well, first, let's listen to a few seconds of the A side. All right, and so this is a cover of Bit Bang Pow by the band The Creation, late 60s band, lots of people know about. Um, Scott, what do you think about this release? I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly not the record that's going <laughs> to get you into the TVPs necessarily. I mean, it's, I'm guessing they seem to be you know, picking up a little bit at this point. They probably don't have some great unreleased tunes lying around, so they're offering up a cover, um, which is, you know, is it's interesting to me to see how they almost struggle with doing somebody else's song. It's like a bit of a bit of an ill-fitting suit, but you know it's cool. I mean, I think at that time less people probably knew about the creation, so that's also double duty as letting people know what that is. Yeah, I mean, in listening to this, it's funny. This like this is one of the least television personalities television personality songs. Uh, they are not. I gotta say, as we're both big fans of this band and. Uh, it almost doesn't even sound like them. It sounds like a different band to me playing like it sounds like it's is it even Dan playing guitar? It's almost like a straight ahead punk version yeah, of this yeah. song. It's you know, has like almost it could be Eddie and the Hot Rods or something. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's very 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 little, straightforward. A little too reverent. <laughs> a, a little too reverent. And it's also like I almost can't imagine just Dan playing like power chords. Like it's very straightforward. Um, there's kind of some like phaser on the vocals a little bit. Um, you know, I will say the B side is a pretty solid, uh, live version of picture of Dorian Gray, which, you know, it's not amazing, but it really does feel like it's a, it's a good recording. You feel like you could be there a little bit.
Yeah, yeah, and you know, he's Alan. I'm sure is just excited about getting them to do anything for creation because, as he stated a few times, the TVPs are sort of the whole impetus for wanting to do a zine and then a label. Yeah, and you know, it's it's I there's there's some some interesting some points of importance I think. So first of all, this is the only proper television personalities release on creation at all are or do, are they on alive in the living room or not they're on alive in the living room but i okay. really, that that counts about as much as this does i mean it's another like kind of scrappy live thing so that's it so yeah. there's um there's just that and and this and so you know that's also let's we got to point out they're covering the creation which is the name of the label where yeah. they got the name yeah biff bang pow is the song is also the the name the band is named after so they're they're announcing lots of things with this song it's just that honestly it's just like not their best work so it's sort of you know it's i guess ironic in a number of ways um but it's it's nice to have yeah and if you compare it to especially if you compare it to the flexi from the first issue which is you know that's some high quality pop tunes that are on there that are a little bit more in the vein of what creation is going to put out. Yeah, that's an incredible flexi. That's great. I own this flexi. I do not own the zine. I think on other episodes, we'll be talking a lot more about the record, but on this episode, we're going to be talking about this zine because it's so great. And later on, we're going to have a guest. We have a Bjorn Copeland coming on. He, um, member of black dice, flaccid mojo designer old friend of scott's uh so he'll be coming on to talk about the zine um and maybe sort of the story behind it scott what do you think about the zine i mean it's i I think it's incredible like and and especially i i think that because when i was reading it recently i was still just like this is so good you know i sat down to read it again you know to sort of study up and read it cover to cover i ended up actually buying while I was reading it, buying two records that are discussed in it that I didn't have. So, you know, what, 37 years on, it's still inspiring somebody to buy a record. It's pretty, pretty great. Um, uh, it was Bjorn that gave me this record. I mean, this record, this magazine, uh, which is one of the reasons we're asking him on. And, and, you know, just, he was like, I think you will really like this. And it's, you know, it's just something that, you know, zines are great. This one's special to me. Yeah, and I, I'm going to just go ahead. I think there's a few passages other than, well, who's on it? So, okay, Communication Blur is Alan McGee, who runs the label, uh, goes on to you know be in Biff Bang Pow and um, lots of other notable things about him. And the legend, who Jerry Thackeray, Everett True, who will be on the show soon. Uh, and then there's, there's another couple people involved with it who I don't know who they are, but... I'm just, there's some really, I think what we, I, I guess I, I, what I note a lot about this is sort of like the meta excitement talking about being excited. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of exclamation points in this. Maybe I should just kind of uh, like do what you want. Cause this is a new art school. Remember, shake these new hippies up, infiltrate and destroy, kneecap the enemy, i.e. apathy, wake up and simply create. There's a lot of that, a yeah, lot of exclamation points. Hyper inspired. Hyper inspired. The legend has he. I think in general he has a little more of a a testy quality. So I'm wondering right. how he's going to come across to us. Uh, he's a little more uh, irritable, on edge, I might say, than 
uh, Alan, who is billed, I believe, as the creation cowboy. I'm not 100% that's him, but I think so. Got it, yeah. And then there's this other guy, Theo Chalmers. That he's got a good little bit in here where he says, Anarchy in the UK is one of the worst records ever made. You question my criteria? Don't make me twitch. Just look at what it inspired. How many times have you played it in the last four years? As music, it stands up again. It stands... <laughs> As music, it stands up about as much as the old Who Stones records do. And, <laughs> and as a statement for anything, it's long since dead. <laughs> Doubling down on the Who and the Stones <laughs> on top of it. I know. And it's only, I mean, this is, so this is what, a few years after that record came out. These guys are just talking about tearing down the walls, ripping on everything. Uh, I think it's pretty amusing. The amount that they rip on Cherry Red is, uh, they, the, is pretty the cherry amusing. Red, the Cherry Red baiting is extremely funny. I mean, there's a there's that there's a great little like blurb about they were what is it that Everett interviewed Mike Allway twice for for some sort of I don't know for some sort of response article because I guess Mike Allway was upset about something that was said in Communication Blur One. <laughs> and so, and it's and, and it's just, it, and then, but then he didn't get back. I don't know. It's just, it's just they're, they're so they mentioned it multiple times. What they, I like that there was a there's a quote when they're reviewing um, Red Rust September by by um, I Live in Gaza that the, this record almost makes Cherry Red look alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then there's like the Cherry Red got got rid of their only good band, the Nightingales. Yeah, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, like, vitriol in here. It's really fun. Um, you know, here Everett True, as the legend says, what music is obviously crying out for is people to purge the shit music, purge out the shit music and not be afraid to stick their heads in the mire if they think something's bad. Fuck off. It's my right to speak my mind if I want to. Give it some emotion. Yeah. It's just, and then, and then you get the, his good, you know, and it, it, I, I like the, the looks into the, into the era of like what he's, you know, he, they've got like the legend with the legend list of things that he's really into. It's just like laughing clown, Carmel, very yeah, odd yeah, choice. You, you, Redskins <laughs> uh, is now I'm going to say, maybe this is a question I need to ask you. Is it UT or us? How do you say this band name? Uh, you know, for years, I was actually going to ask you, I always thought it was Oot. Okay. And uh, we'll get back to that. I have that record somewhere. I'm going to have yeah, to revisit it. Blue and, yeah, Blue and Orange, I do too. I've never the, known. There's <laughs> lots. It's actually really fun. One thing I really like about reading old fanzines is there's often like so many different things that they're into that make obvious sense. And then these other things that are sort of, I wouldn't have really thought that they were right. into. And these are all happening at the same time. But we sort of only think about certain writers or right. people being into what you would expect. Yeah. No, I like that a lot about it. The things that they're talking about. I mean, they, they talk a lot about, I mean, these things are totally outside. They talk a lot about red flame records. They really, that, that that's the lead. That's the, that's the label. They really seem to, to be giving a lot of props to, but you know, it, it's just, yeah. I mean, they talk about PIL a lot. They, they just mentioned these things that they're not, it's not, it's not surprising, but I mean, like laughing clowns wasn't something I was expecting or just things like that. Some other really notable things. So they talk about the paintings, who I believe become Strawberry Switchblade, right? I'm not sure. That's what I was going to ask you because that's this a, is a very, guess. It's a very interesting. It's a live review, and it, they suggest they seem to suggest that they m maybe want to put a record out by them, and they and they talk about the singer as being like sounding like a ten delivering her vocals like a ten year old. So I'm not really sure. 
Well, when Stephen Pastel comes on, we can maybe ask uh, him because there's some gentle ribbing of him uh, in this thing. Yes, yes. Called again, aging Glasgow uh, pop idol Stephen Pastel, which is is pretty amusing. Yeah, in in '84. (laughs) This must be in this issue, uh, and we'll we'll post some of the photos from this. um, But I think the I'm guessing the first mention of Primal Scream ever, where they talk about Primal Scream essentially as Jim Beatty in his room. Extremely, it's extremely weird, interesting article. So, so keep in mind, there's lots of band writing, but there's only three interviews, and the interviews are actually something that brings the magazine down to earth a little bit. I think so. Primal Scream is not an interview; it's just a, a page long thing that you can't tell if it's how serious it is <laughs> and it's just about jim Beatty. and they what they, they they describe him as what crossing the best aspects of pil with early fit barrett but paint him like a complete recluse weirdo and he described he they say that he just calls everyone who comes into the room moth moth yeah <laughs> and- maybe, maybe we can maybe we can pick up that affectation yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I don't think I, you might be able to pull it off. It wouldn't work for me. But he, he I mean, and, and he's always kind of, Jim Beattie has always been kind of a mysterious character, right? I right. mean, yeah. and I know, I mean, there definitely had to be some drama about when he left Primal Scream that you probably know more about than me. Barely. I mean, did Spyria X, I feel like calling his, his next band a Primal Scream song title? This guy, there's a little, a, maybe a little dig, or maybe it's just yeah, like, hey, I, mean, I wrote that song. I get to yeah, call it that. Yeah. And it's instrumental. So it's just like, I didn't really, I mean, except for Bobby says any band, but I mean, I think he's just like, this is my thing. It's it's so, I mean, I've got a couple of the early Primal Scream tracks on, on early comp before. Well, there's they, that bootleg uh, too, right? Where, where, yeah, uh, I mean, that, where the woman sings who ends up being the Spirea X singer. Is that right? I, I think so. And that, and that song is already a song called The Orchard. And that's, that still sounds great like Primal song. Scream. Great, but then the early earlier tracks. I've got one of them on the on a, the pleasantly surprised comp. It's darker. It's it's a little. It's really dubby and weird. And but Bobby sings a pop tune over it. But it almost sounds like he was just singing to himself. And this track appeared underneath him. And it's 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 sort of a neat early early thing. But it, it's it's interesting to to learn from this article that Primal Scream of Primal Scream being a thing before they were what you know them to be. Right. It's really fascinating. And I, I guess I never really knew that Primal Scream was at some point just him. Yeah, you, you think of it as Bobby Gillespie's song. And I'm really curious if like there were initially even earlier recorded that's just Jim Beatty doing weird stuff. Who knows? So the four record reviews, which I love. But there <laughs> there's just four. And and it's and it's and, and they're all very positive because that's kind of I feel like they were like, well let's just talk about things we like. And it's undertone sin of pride, which I think is, which is, I mean, they, I love that they love it so much because that's that's like maybe the most, I don't want to say the most misunderstood undertone record. It's the most dogged undertone record dogged, for right, sure. Yeah, yeah. And then then before Hollywood, which of course they love, go between. But I, um, and I would still personally think it's their best album. I don't know. I, I, I would say it's their best album as well. Um, and then, then under, uh, no, then subterranean jungle, Ramon subterranean jungle. I love that they, I love that they championed that. Excellent. It's excellent. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, every, they're just, the whole thing. It's just, I don't know. I feel like we should read it. At some point. Yeah. Like, okay. Uh, well, why don't I just do it right now? So yeah, we've got right. uh, one, two, three, four. And you thought the brothers had died. Didn't you? You unbelieving cynics as alive as the day you were born, a pure blast of energy from America, 
the most soulful singing this side of the legend <laughs> himself just <laughs> quoting your own yeah. he's probably yeah. wrote this himself i'm sure yeah <laughs> you can you can always tell the ones you've who've got no real feeling for pop music. They're the ones without a single Ramones record to their name. Buy it, buy it. Chances like this for pure enjoyment don't appear like this one every day. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I just, I don't know, I love that. That's great, it's great. Yeah, and there's, and then I think, you know, probably worth mentioning is that Patrick Fitzgerald gets interviewed and he's someone that I, I've liked for a long time, but he, I always thought of his like this sort of like punk poet guy, but it kind of makes yeah. sense. I mean, I mean, I mean, and, and, it's, and Clark is, 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 is one of the other interviews is, is, you know, another spoken, a lot of spoken stuff. So yeah. And the, the Patrick and Patrick Fitzgerald shows up again because he plays on the first legend single, which is odd. I'm curious about that. And Let's see. They they also yeah they talk about Eilis and Gaza multiple times, and they they talk about New Risen, which is they talk about the B side, which is funny because the A side yeah. New Risen is one of the best records yeah. ever made. It's amazing. I could talk about that single all day, where it has guitar, bass, and piano all just playing the same exact thing the, as he yeah, does. And the bridge, the, the bridge is the, is like a rearranged version of the verse. But it sounds that's it's just, yeah, it's, it's exactly a, it's such an interesting written song. I think I was thinking about the one of my I think maybe my favorite thing about this magazine, or I mean, or not my favorite thing, but something that that sticks out to me the most is that scribble uh, in the in the in towards the in, last page. What does it say? It says um, where I wrote it down. Oh, it says two minutes before we go to print. Just heard micro Disney single Pink Skin Man, Brill pop song. And I, I'm somewhat familiar with them, but not enough, not as much as I should be. So I don't, I didn't know that song. So not only did I was, was like, well, this is awesome. They heard something and were like, this can't wait. This can't wait till next issue or whatever's gonna happen. It's got to be scrawled in the in the corner right now. And then I went and listened to it and bought the comp that it was on like immediately. It's excellent. <laughs> you know, I have I have that comp somewhere. I can't find it. It's uh, we will probably repeat this. Uh, it's in my yeah. mom's garage somewhere. My mom's sure. garage is apparently um, really good. <laughs> every every time we mention my mom's garage, we will set off an air horn sound. And just overall, this is a really cool zine. We're going to talk to Bjorn about it. Just like the design, the way it looks, it's just an amazing looking thing as well. Just like such an amazing artifact yeah, of the so time. Back back in those back when you could have those copy machines that had the co different colored ink in them, so they're not color copies but you can select blue, green, or red instead of black. So all the pages like alternate between these things. And so it just it gives this, it, it, it's very colorful without being expensive. Yeah, this was definitely something that was cheap to make, but it's really fun and exciting looking. So we've got Bjorn coming in in a minute. Um, let's just take a break for a second. New savory toast from Findus, a tasty inside, toasty outside. Sealed in crisp golden toast, there's a delicious filling of ham and cheese. Or seasoned with tomato and onion, there's tasty minced beef. Just grill a new Findus savory toast for five minutes each side and it's ready to eat. New Findus savory toasts, they're tasty inside, toasty outside. Findus, success on a plate for you. Whoa. Speak of the devil. Here he is. Hey. We've got Bjorn Copeland with us today. 
from Black Dice, Flaccid Mojo, designer, <laughs> lots of stuff. Um, <laughs> Scott, Scott, why is, why is Bjorn here? Bjorn's here because he gave me issue number two of Communication Blur. Very nice gift. He, and uh, I, it's just was another addition to the creation uh, picture or the puzzle that I feel like actually was a, a rather large piece, just seeing sort of the the beginnings of it and how, how completely inspired it was. This is true. Although it was a nice gift, but I kept the flexi. I know the flexi is not in there. <laughs> I actually just looked for it, but I like all great record collections of dudes and bands. They were sold off to stay high. So. <laughs> I'm sure, sure Dan yeah. I'm sure Dan Tracy would, would approve. Indeed. It was, that was the whole, I'm sure that's the flow of most of his records. So. I, I, so, I have, I have a, I'm going to bet that Dan does not own either of these things. Oh no, I'm guessing not. I would guess that Alan McGee doesn't own either of these things. You're, you're probably, or maybe his personal assistant does. We'll see. Well, you, when you get him on the, on the and squad we will. cast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, then we'll, we'll, well, then we'll find out. So, so as, as we were like talking about this, when we first started thinking about this, we were uh, like looking back through a lot of interviews and stuff. And I found this. So there was like a period where Alan McGee was writing for The Guardian. And I found this thing where he says, he's talking about how the television personalities were a huge influence on creation. And he's, I'm just going to quote this thing um, from this article. He says, now my TVP's fixation is catching up with me again. A few months ago, I received an email from Bjorn Copeland of Black Dice about my fanzine from back in the day called Communication Blur. Apparently, it is being distributed by television personalities fans in New York. Well, that's not entirely true. Or maybe it is, but it was not, I was not hip to it. Um, I, I bought that issue in Montreal probably in like 99 or 2000. And then while Alan was writing for The Guardian, he wrote kind of the best review that our band had ever, the, the, my favorite review that we had ever gotten. It was like a you know, a full page or some shit. Um, and then he also wrote a really lovely review of one of Eric's records at that time. And so I reached and out that's to That's a him. review of Repo, right? Yes. Okay. Um, so I don't even know. That might be 2008 or nine or... I think it's 2009, uh, but continue. Um, anyway, so I don't normally do this, but I wrote him an email. I got his email from someone at DFA and then wrote him and just said, we really, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the record. That was a lovely review. Um, it meant a lot to us. And I really appreciate the fact that you also wrote an equally great one for Eric. Um, and then I guess I must have, I looked for this email, but I couldn't find it. Um, but I told him that I had gotten it in Montreal, but I kind of like the fact that he either misheard it. I like the idea that he re reworked the whole story story from a press angle i was like did bjorn it, give me a bootleg that some new york kids were cut photo no not at all was, uh, i mean montreal used to be so good for buying records um that you can find all sorts of crazy shit up there and the dollar was certainly strong back in the day back when you could still get over the border yeah, into yeah Canada right. to fucking buy the shit so um but yeah that's how i got it and i mean at the time i guess from the time that scott and i met which would have been like 95 or 96 yeah through the early 2000s i certainly was buying anything 
that was Dan Tracy related with the exception of like that green live live album, which didn't sound so good. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of a amazing score actually to just, you don't usually find like used zines places. You actually, it's extremely hard to find these zines. I thought, I thought communication blur. I was just like, Oh, it should be something I can look up and it's just not. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Well, I'm hoping that I was able to contribute to the Scott Miller <laughs> retirement fund. <laughs> well, I, cer- I, I certainly like made an assumption that everything is available on the internet. And I was like, oh, I'll just find this. I'll find some images. It's like, I can't. It doesn't, I can't find anything. So I'm, I'm, uh, but that's kind of great. I mean, that's exactly how it was when it came out. I mean, but that was the thing that was so cool about finding it was one, most of those bands, you couldn't really find out a whole lot of, you know, I mean, I bought it in a, the year I bought it, I wasn't even using the internet that much. It wasn't like there was a ton of shit on it. I don't even know if YouTube was was up and running at that point. So it still had some sort of just, you know, value to it. Just Yeah, for right. For that, the information at, yeah. alone, yeah. Um, and I think that was kind of one of the things that was just, I mean, now it sounds sort of stupid to say, I got into this music and it felt really great to sort of have this insider knowledge and you really had to dig, you know, I mean, that's sort of what every old person says when waxing poetic about how music used to be and how you had to do the legwork and dig and get recommendations and all Before that sort of stuff. Or you could just find but, everything on the internet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, how many different. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm really, I'm really feeling 44 years old when I hear myself saying stuff like that. But um, but no, I mean, it was kind of cool. And also most of the bands that Creation Records, you know, bands on that label, the shit that they were kind of referencing in their own music was also really hard to find. Like you couldn't find, it wasn't easy to find like a record by The Action or Florida Lees or The Creation or John's Children or any of these sort of, you know, mod psych kind of bands. I guess there had been 80s compilation reissues of some of that stuff but those freak beat comps for sure i remember those yeah i mean i guess some of the nugget stuff but it didn't seem like any of those bands were really referencing a lot of american psychedelic records i mean maybe the birds and love i guess but um but yeah so i I don't know i i I like the fact that when i got it it was still functioning the way that a zine the way that the zine functioned when it was printed yeah, that's funny. We were talking about that earlier because we did it before you were on. We were already talking a bit about it, and I I was telling I was saying that I had bought two records, like while I was re- rereading it for this <laughs> show. I I was like, whoa, bought an Ann Clark record and a Micro Disney record just because it was they were the way they were writing about it was was so exciting. I was like, well, still still valid for that for that. Yeah. No, totally. I don't know how well those micro Disney records aged, but I'm telling again, you, this lot- is good. <laughs> but I mean, a lot of the stuff on that label actually aged really great. Um, I think a lot I of mean- the, a lot of the creation stuff really did did age well. I mean, it's it's. I don't know what I think. A lot of it is a production. Like they they didn't go. I mean, like if you like if we go back and listen to Robin Hitchcock records or like some of those like really don't age very well because of the production, but like yeah. a lot of the creation stuff, even though there's like loud eighties drums, it's a different thing. It is a different thing. I mean, Scott and I had talked about this a little while ago, but just there was something that came across as a lot more, 
sophisticated and sort of enduring about a lot of those bands. Like you didn't, a lot of American indie pop stuff just now is almost embarrassing to listen to because it's so sort of like unapologetically twee in this way where you could tell that a lot of the bands, you could tell that the pastels are used to Mary chain or the legend or, you know, that these bands had that they were kind of rock and roll bands that got, that took drugs and got loaded and wore leather pants. Yeah, wore leather already, pants and stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, and, and then that's it's true. And and then and then you look at the. I mean, this is something I'm. I, you know, I will have to ask if we get Alan on the show. But it's like the song. The singles seem really. Most of them seem really curated. Like these are the songs I want, and that's that's like it's so crucial to a label. You know, well, I think like, that you could do an independent label, and I mean, again, having not lived in the UK ever, and certainly not during the eighties. Um, I guess I probably don't know what I'm talking about, but I mean, the fact that you could have an independent record that could sell, you know, because you had weekly music papers and at least John Peel, who was playing underground music, it didn't seem like it was as limited to the results you were going to get by pressing up 500 copies of your friend's single here. Yeah, yeah, you know, right, it wouldn't right. get reviewed in any magazine. Yeah, There's yeah, no yeah, chance right, it was yeah. going to be on anything other than most likely local college yeah radio sure. so i i think that that kind of is incentive to actually run your label more like a a label as opposed yeah, to yeah you've got things like rough trade and cherry red to look to that are independent minded but fairly large it's yeah it's, so, it's, it's a sorry it's so satisfying like i've been rereading the creation book and there's this you know they're talking about when postcard was starting and edwin collins and alan horn are dry, drove from Glasgow down to down to London and they just like they drive and drop off a copy with John Peel and Alan <laughs> Horn insults John Peel to his face and then then in like an hour later John Peel is on the radio being like I, I'm only playing this once because this guy insulted me to my face <laughs> and, then, and then they drop off you know they go to every paper walk into the and then like hand it to the writer that they like. It's so wild to think about it working like that. That's like incredibly charming too. I mean, to think that someone gave enough of a shit to do that, you know? Yeah, I, feel well, like, I mean, almost like willing the way they thought it worked into reality. <laughs> yeah, and apparently it worked. I mean, it's funny. I've only heard of one other story of someone insulting John Peel, and that was the Lawrence story. <laughs> I don't know the story. I should know the story. It's probably, maybe it's in the book, but t- tell me as you remember it. <laughs> I think he sent a copy of, I don't even remember what single it was, but he sent a copy to John Peel, never heard anything on it, uh, you know, never heard it played, sent another one. And I guess he maybe said something unflattering about the record. And so he wrote him and demanded his fucking records back. <laughs> that's right. That's in, the, that's, in the, that's in the Lawrence documentary. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, he, I mean, he sent it back with a note saying, I don't know where the other one is, but if I can send you the money for that, <laughs> it's for possible, that it's, single. It's possible that it's the index single, maybe. I'm I not think sure. It Might be. I think that's, I think that's he was what just it like, was. this is garbage. I mean, which, I mean, it's an inauspicious debut. It's like not a great, it's, I mean, I, sure, maybe, it's, it's, maybe I'll it go makes back felt, and like it again. It makes felt all that more enigmatic. Yeah. They, they certainly, <laughs> certainly are. But I mean, then you think about some of the other stuff that he gave airtime to that aged a lot less. I mean, again, this is all my opinion of this stuff, but it certainly seemed like he played a lot and championed a lot of stuff that I would not 
Well, I mean, that's, I know, mean, that's, that's, a, now. that's an exciting thing about this era. I mean, even looking at communi- the, the issue of communication blur being like looking at, you know, the, the bands that are already bagging on who are, yeah. you know, they're already bagging on the raincoats. Like the legend's already like, like there are, you know, like, and, but he's really into Carmel. And then, and then, and you're like, this is all just through a lens of like this month, you know, like in two months, he's going to be like, Carmel, terrible. And you know, the new band <laughs> is this. And, and that's, I like that about it. I, I like well, things in terms of months instead of years. Well, I also think that when it's stuff that's happening at the same time that you are also participating in making music and playing yeah. shows and stuff, your ego fucking colors. Yeah. Yeah, so much true. of your opinion. I mean, there's so many bands that I have actively talked shit about, like <laughs> you know, from 2005 or four. You know, all these these. I, I guess we've been playing for like almost 25 years, so there's been a lot of them. And some of them, when you go back, you're just like, yeah, actually, that was pretty good. I just yeah. didn't like them because I thought they were a dick. Or, you, saw, you saw the guy open a beer can, uh, a beer bottle on somebody's <laughs> uh, coffee table. <laughs> I mean, I, that I would give props to anybody who's <laughs> like, I'm not talking about that. I know. I mean, the, the middle-aged version of me is quick to write off bad behavior, but then I also look back and I'm just like, we were so fucking poorly behaved in so many situations, and mostly just because we were drunk or too stoned or something like that but the kind of shit that i felt like used to be routine behavior like punching someone while you were playing a show or (laughs) hurling a bottle at somebody while you're playing a show or stealing shit but anyway it's funny how time changes your opinion yeah i mean mean, i think the funniest thing about black dice was how how nice and polite you guys were as people and as how insane in your face you were as a band. <laughs> it was a lot easier to get up in front of people if you could barely stand or see. <laughs> like you kind of was like a get out of jail free card where you didn't have to it was it's obvious like, why if you sucked, it was obvious why you sucked. You know what I mean? You didn't have to elaborate. So but I mean I think that that seemed to be like the way that a lot of British bands from that era that I like, I mean Opera. I don't know. I mean, stories about Jesus and Mary Chain early on seemed like that was the same sort of mindset, you know? Yeah, that's, you I mean, that, of, that's true. That's true. You, and I mean, Matt was showing me something was sent was saying, like, well, there's a couple of reviews of Alan McGee writing about the dice where he's like, this is pop music. I was just yeah. envision that. And I love I love that. I love that that he can hear that in it. Like, because I know that you guys like it. And so it's in there somewhere. Maybe not yeah. on the surface, but it's in there and he hear, he can hear it. That was, I think that was maybe the most flattering thing about that review. I mean, you know, having known Eric and myself for as long as you have, like, you know, yeah. that we, we love yeah. pop, like kind of all music, but ultimately like simple. I like, we like a hook. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And that's what we would all, I think we, that's what we all like related to first about, you know, on, on that level of being, of liking a lot of the same music. Yeah. And like, you know, the thing is a lot of, there's certainly bands that can make a hook with, two notes i mean um and so that was sort of in two note a two note hook is easy to mix in with a shit ton of other abstract yeah. sounds yeah right, um, right, right. it's a lot easier than doing like some complicated arpeggiated progression that i mean i said arpeggiated as if i could actually i think but, it, it, it means something complicated yeah <laughs> something complicated to like a 
second grade <laughs> piano student. <laughs> you know, the thing that's funny is I think that if we, if you had asked us, I would have at that time, I would have rather been in a band that sounded like the Pastels or Jesus and Mary Chain or Beat Happening or Spaceman 3 or something. But that shit seemed hard to play, which it sounds funny to say because some <laughs> of it is like just two fucking chords um, done. But that implies you all know how to bands. play a chord. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't know how to t- tune a fucking guitar um, and, and definitely got the most enjoyment out of like just making it feedback. Um, but yeah, so we kind of came into it through sort of a weird lack. I mean, I'm not saying that it's like the Jesus and Mary chain, but the whole story about like their sound being kind of like an accident because of how incompetent they were and sort of like a mixture of sort of like girl group type melodies with Neubauten or something like that. That kind of happened by accident for us as well. I mean, I kind of felt like when, when you guys started that, I mean, you were telling me about it cause I knew you pre dice like that that you, it was almost just like it was freeing to you guys because you weren't really tied to this music and this music scene. Yeah. And so you well, were like, we're just making what sucked. we think think is like modern day Black Flag or whatever with like yeah. real, real like antagonistic approach. Well, I think and, that's something that's kind of... Lo- I'm fucking cringing every time I say some like old man shit. But I mean, I think that that, that was kind of the beauty of like pre-internet music scenes is that a lot of times you would read something in a zine and you would have this impression based just on words and not hearing the actual music and then you could kind of base what you were doing off of how you imagined that sound as opposed to everything you know you can kind of research anything right now and we're in an era right now where everything is people are really quick to canonize you know, everything there's documentaries about bands that have been around for a year. Um, and so I like the fact that it, there was something kind of lost in translation, you know, based on, you know, there's something lost between like the reading or review of something or an article about something and actually what you heard. Um, and also I think it was a less polarized or like clickish underground music scene. I mean, coming from Maine and then you know, someone who liked fish would be at the same show as they'd be at a Yola Tango show or some shit like that also. Cause there was just jack shit. Yeah. Right. Right. It's like, a to little, do. It's, it's like a state. It's just like up there kind of on its own. Yeah. I mean, I think in New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco, you could afford to be, I don't want to say stuck up, but you kind of could be, but, but that's know, a good way of putting it. I mean, yeah. I mean, Sacramento definitely, uh, you know, grew in that in a similar way where you were like we can't we can't act like we're too cool because we want bands to come yeah we want to be able to play shows so i mean that was the thing that was so funny is actually meeting a lot of bands from that like i don't know meeting bands like henry stress and getting on with them super like right off the bat but they it was apparent that they knew way more about like a certain type of music than i did they looked fucking killer they had like the right gear and the right record collection and stuff like that and i still had fucking tons of clunkers in my you know there's probably still have like a fucking buffalo tom rack <laughs> Someone, someone's gonna uh, to, uh draw offense to that um i i'm sure that they sound good i just remember what was the uh the bass player of uh henry's dress what was his name again i am 
that was it. I am, yeah. Uh, that I just remember someone bringing up that on their first tour, he brought seven jackets. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. I love, I love that. Just like weird tidbits. I mean, the band that was most guilty of that sort of shit that I ever encountered, because a lot of bands would stay with us in Providence. I was in Brazil like in 2012, and I went to this big music festival to hang out with the Chick 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 guys. And uh, the drummer from Modest Mouse came up to me and was like, are you Bjorn? Um, he's like, you maybe don't remember me, but my band Satisfax stayed at your house. And the only thing I remembered was those dudes spent so much time in front of the mirror. Like I'd never <laughs> seen a band travel with hair products and multiple belts. I mean, I own one belt <laughs> fucking day. So the fact that these guys were like, but you know, it was, it was apparent that there were, there were like small indie outposts or scenes in this country that were, I, I guess, more sophisticated in some ways. Well, um, and, and, I, and I think that like, you know, on, on one hand, you know, being part of the music scene and like playing in bands, we're like behind the scenes and get to see that embarrassing shit. But like from the outside, it's like Bobby Gillespie is like the coolest looking person ever. He definitely owns many belts. Several, now, several belts. I think that <laughs> especially if you came from a place where, I mean, I guess a lot of those, there's certainly a lot of like kind of super fashion conscious British bands that are not from big cities. I mean, pulp, I guess seems like one of them, but where I grew, I, I never have shaken the baggage that like I grew up in a small town in Maine, some shit you would just get beat up for, you know? So like, I don't, I think that maybe saved us from being potential fashion victims. Whereas if we were <laughs> from fucking San Diego, we would have just been like, spot on yeah Spock san, rock san diego is, is a real real uh, hot spot <laughs> well, and, and speaking speaking of fashion on that first tour uh where the first tour i saw where i saw black dice i remember the, the i wish i bought one of those shirts but your first shirt or maybe i did and i lost it but i believe it was a deer with a human vagina am i oh, yeah. am i wrong is that was that something you designed <laughs> that was something i designed i probably would not fly in 2020 um, <laughs> it would probably be the would be canceled immediately <laughs> but um but i don't know i think that there's something kind of cool about at least that time feeling that you could test the waters and i think since we were all like petite you know we weighed 300 pounds collectively all yeah, fucking four of us guess, you guys you guys taught me to shop in the women's section of the <laughs> <laughs> well i it, i and so i felt like there was this need to sort of prove that you were I don't mean this in like a super bro centric way but like when you were kind of part of an aggressive music scene you kind of had to compensate in other ways so being super fucked up and being kind of out of control while you're playing seemed like that compensated for the fact that there was nothing remotely masculine about us in <laughs> anyway i mean to this day but um and i mean it, it went it went both ways because you were also a band that people were like well if these were a bunch of bros i'd hate this band but this band <laughs> has got these like kind of like cool clothes on or something like not overly cool but you know fashionable so i think people yeah someone of, described I mean, it as like bad news bears yeah I mean, <laughs> kind of look and i think that was pretty right i mean eric wore the same fucking shirt and hat he would yeah I mean, he only just got rid of that fucking hat a couple of years ago, and it was only what his wife to was 
His wife, I think, smelled it one day and was just like, Jesus Christ. So she bought him a new one. <laughs> I mean, that um, was some time ago now because I was in New York when he was wearing it. And I was like pointing it out. And she was like, don't make a big deal about it because she's like, so <laughs> about it. And I, and, I, and I was like, I was like, I think, it I mean, I don't know. That church's hat is, led, is pure legend. Though. You couldn't church's even right. fucking read it. And I remember nope. the night he got it. We went to a party in Providence and Matt, who, roadied for, we, who was roading for us early on, too had like a trash bag filled with like trucker hats. So Eric was probably 16 and they wore it. They wore these stupid hats to this party and someone fucked with Eric and was like, you've never even eaten at church's fried chicken or something like that. <laughs> and from that day, he fucking just didn't take it off. He was just like, fuck you, fuck you. So it's a fucking is, point of pride. It's pure legend. It's Yeah. So he, uh, I don't know, but I, I, we were lucky that we got to do stuff when when we did but, but you know i still think it's comical that like we ended up sounding the way we did when realistically i would have rather sounded like every record on creation at the time i wouldn't have been into czar jazz but now that's kind of my favorite I, you shit know, on I, the label i had that it's you know i had that record and didn't get it and then when i got into tronics i was like i probably shouldn't have gotten rid of that record like maybe i'll like it again is it time for me to go back i will say that i was back in maine for the whole first four months of this shit show that we are currently living through and uh that stuff sounded really good on the front porch of my mom's apartment building at like midnight when it was snowing out like it just is creepy in a pocket, like it's super clockwork orange sounding. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a little terrified it. to, to interview that guy. Um, I definitely like, it's already been proposed that he's probably going to ask for money. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh God. I'm like, he's like, I'm more intimidated by the idea of interviewing him than I am interviewing Bobby Gillespie or, Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Freakopus must be mentioned 20 times. <laughs> Wait, yeah. Say it again. Just, just make sure that we <laughs> the number of times you have to say it before I before we uh, schedule the interview. Well, and that's what I really wonder about is like, is the Zarjaz release the only thing that came out in creation? I wonder if it, he was hoping for what you know something that sounded like that. There's and then there's that one like Tronics that says the Tronics twelve inch is really catchy. It's like more yeah. rock. I wonder if he was like hoping for that. And then he's like, here you go. Here's this thing. And he's like, Oh, thanks. But here that's on, and th is that on kaleidoscope? I think that's on kaleidoscope. Yeah. So that's creation adjacent. With Joe Foster. It is. I, it is creation adjacent. Creation adjacent. Label. The new, the new podcast. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, for, <laughs> yeah, our spinoff for our spinoff. Yeah. 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 And uh, so, so, so um, I know, you know, I know that you're also a designer and you designed the newest real estate album, I believe. I did do that. Um, for the longest time, I wouldn't do anything for people other because I didn't want them to look like Black Dice Records, but bills must be paid. I must keep a roof <laughs> over my head. Um, so, and those guys are all really sweet. Um, and are you playing music so. at all? Yeah, well, Eric. Aaron and I, like Flaccid Mojo, are supposed to do a name which I still wince when I say. <laughs> yeah, when I, I mean, said it, you did. I'm, I said it as a fucking joke. We were making Doors jokes, like about the band. <laughs> and I called Jim Morrison Mr. Flaccid Mojo Rising. And Aaron was like, dude. we." And so I agreed to do one show as that. And then he kept refusing to play. 
if I, we changed the name and I tried making flyers that just said FM. Anyway, yeah, when, you, when, you put, when you played in sack, it was just FM on the flyer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was pretty insistent about it, but I, now I'm just sort of like, whatever. Like I got no, I don't really give a shit. It's definitely <laughs> a hard one. Like there's been times where like an attractive woman has come up afterwards <laughs> and liked the show and asked what it was called. And I just <laughs> been like, we don't have a name. We don't like, but, um, so we're supposed to do a record for castle face. And then we just finished the new dice record, um, which is called mod prog sick. Although Eric calls it mod prog psych. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, sick as in wait, spell it out. S I C like, okay. like, okay. like you fucked yeah. up. Okay. <laughs> I like it better as sick, but, uh, I, you don't really argue with the kid on some stuff. Like it's just like you have to pick and choose your battles. And I didn't even know this until like two weeks ago. He's like, "No, no, dude. Mod, mod prog psych." It's like, all right, well, it's still pe- spelled the other way. So, um, and then I've started working on a solo record, which, I mean, honestly, some of it sounds very much in the, you know, like it's coming from the same wheelhouse as everything else I've been involved with. But then I started going back and listening to all these old creation singles and listening to The Wake and all this other shit from that time period. And it kind of made me feel a little bit more confident about some of this stuff that's maybe a little bit more like... Arpeggiated? A little, <laughs> little more arpeggiated. A little you, learned bit. How, you learned how to tune and play guitar in the last <laughs> 25 years and you're ready to write a pastel well, song. Not really, but I got an app for that. Now, so <laughs> <just> <laughs> more confidence in playing an untuned guitar at the time it didn't fucking matter but it was more just like embarrassing to not know how to do it i mean that's the thing it's so funny to like listen to like to go back and listen to all these singles and, and and remember that they sounded so fucking sophisticated to me at the time like i couldn't figure out how the fuck to make a song like that if my life depended on it I still I, mean, I probably still couldn't. I, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I probably yeah. still couldn't. It's true. Like, like something like the Pastels is the most approachable, but it's still got a, a, a quality that you can't put your finger on. I mean, that's the thing is I feel like to, regardless of how sophisticated someone's musical chops are, a good song is just a good song and good ideas are just good I- ideas. Um, I mean, hence, you can listen to a sh- the Shags record, Yeah, you know? Sure. I mean, for a number of reasons, but uh, maybe that's actually not the best example because that shit's more like fucking looking at a freak show at the circus or something like that. Um, a glorious one and one of New Hampshire's only famous exports, except for Gigi Allen, I guess. Oh, I never really thought about that. Is it the Shags and Gigi Allen? I'm sure this is, so our, our vast listener base of New Hampshire <laughs> listeners is going to be really pissed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the queers... Maybe no, not the. You might be Screeching right. Weasel, Screeching I know it's the Screeching Weasel is Illinois, I believe. Okay. <laughs> I believe it is the queers. <laughs> ah, I love that our like pop punk knowledge school like so this. Like you're gonna have to edit that shit out. No one can know that I have <laughs> any inside knowledge of the. But I think that's the thing. I, you know, again, I just it, the world was finding out about stuff was such a tricky thing that you ended up checking out tons of stuff. I mean, my record collection was filled with crap that I only bought because I had read about it in a zine or seen the band name listed in a, the thank yous of another 
record that I had purchased and then you bought it because it was the only thing at the record store and then realized it was crap but you gave stuff a chance at least you know what i mean yeah you would listen to it multiple times whereas now people will send me links to stuff i'll give it like two like we have this youtube email chain that's kind of us everyone from black dice and animal collective and people from acceptor and other music employees and people from haunted graffiti and stuff where everyone just sends youtube links every day pretty much every day and some of it i'll give two seconds to just be like nope can't do this can't do this can't do this where if i had bought the record in 99 i would have sat down smoked a joint listened to it put it back on again you know but i don't got time for that anymore (laughs) right right certainly (laughs) the the irony is i have nothing but time (laughs) at the moment but 2020 is the year that you learn how to use a computer and write you make your like your uh your pop pop opus opus. tune my guitar i mean my music i haven't bought music equipment in like 15 years yeah good. <laughs> well now this is starting to sound like homework man this is not what i signed up for it i thought i was having premium domestic lager with some friends and uh and that would be it but i apparently have my work cut out it's not just myself who's judging me it's apparently coming from sacramento are you in matt are you in san francisco i'm in, San, I'm in san francisco i'm moving to la in two months yeah. I really, uh, we, we really appreciate this. Um, I, I hope, hope it records. I think, yeah. well, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's going to work great. Once I figure out how to edit shit, uh, that's part of this equation. I think it's good. And as far as the editing goes, I would say when in doubt, do the dice model and just put a fuck ton of delay. <laughs> it'll get you out of many snaps many missed changes during a live set um, if you really need to you can pitch it down and then everything okay. sounds the, the chopped and screwed version of the creation record story okay well th- thank you very much um, and uh, I'll see you what, down in LA at some point I hope so it was a pleasure seeing you and chatting with you both yeah, all man. right Take it easy. See ya. Bye. 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 And there you have it. Our interview with Bjorn Copeland. If you want to send us the chopped and screwed version of our podcast for Micah Tops demos, or you played in one of these bands and want to talk to us, you can find us at 50yearspod at gmail.com. That's F-I-F-T-Y spelled out. We've included links to find stuff we talked about in the notes. Next episode, we'll be talking to Jerry Thackray, a.k.a. Everett True, a.k.a. The Legend. Thanks to the Reds, Pinks, and Purples for our theme music. See you later. Bye.